not bread exactly, but what bread in the hands of Jesus could accomplish. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. Bread is in many ways a perfect metaphor, as we've talked about last week and this week, for our lives because it's common, it's ordinary. And sometimes it's cracked and it's broken, right? That just seems to be the nature and the way of things. But in Jesus' hands, it becomes something sacred. It becomes something miraculous. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what it means to be blessed, what it means to be broken, and what it means to be given. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be blessed. You know, a blessing does not happen unless it is spoken. Think about what you need to do in your lives to those who you want to bless. A child will never know it's loved unless it's told. A spouse will never know you care unless you say something. A friend will never know how much you think of them unless you bless them by speaking to them. God spoke to us and he blessed us. We should do the same to those around us. What does it mean to be blessed? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and ask you to speak to us again, to, by your word, bless us. We thank you for the fact you have done it through your word, that through prophets and through your own son, you have blessed us. So help us to share that with the world around us. May we become the bread you use to bring a blessing to the people in this world. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Imagine, if you will, that you are an alien, not below the border, but from outer space. And you come to this planet and you observe the word blessed. You see that word, but you're not familiar with it. English or any other language, and you need a definition, an interpretation of what the word blessed means. How do you determine its sole meaning? Well, as you may have caught earlier in the video in social media, blessed may be something like hashtag blessed. It might be a a perfect latte, a great kitchen renovation, or maybe a Instagrammable vacation that you really liked. Or maybe even pictures of beautiful spouses, and you may use the word blessed. But that has nothing to do with what the Bible means when it talks about a blessing. Many things we associate with a blessed life are health, possessions, beauty, more. All of those are, of course, gifts from God. There's no doubt about that. But they are hints and shadows of the reality and the real, true blessedness that God brings. You see, we need to reframe that word as we deal with it in the average and the everyday. We need to reframe how we think about blessing. And we're going to have to go back to the beginning to do that. This is a rather lengthy passage really collection of passages of scriptures. I wouldn't ask you to stand in honor of his word. If you choose to, that's great. Uh, But if you need to, it will be rather long, so get ready. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from darkness. God called the dry land earth, and the waters were gathered together. He called seas, and God saw that it was good, and God said... Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule by day, the lesser light to rule by night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves which with which the waters swam, swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them. Thank you. You may be seated. Our, our origin story, that story that I just read, is rooted in the whole cosmos. You see, God created everything at that moment, right? Separated light from night, sun, stars, moon, all of that. All of that was created, think of this, for this earth did you catch that his focus was on this planet and he created a sun and a moon and the stars did you catch that in the reading of it for this planet so that you can see the difference between day and night and so that light might be for you to see when the bible tells the story of the beginning it begins with a person it begins with god in the beginning god all things have their origin in God. Everything begins with God. In the ancient world, everyone knew that there was some God, little g, not big G, or a collection of gods in which they believed. They believed that those gods were responsible for the creation of the material world. They were not like people in our day who imagine that the world is a series of automated processes or random incidents with no divine involvement. Many people believe that. 
It's just happenstance. It just developed. For people in ancient times, the question was not, did God make this and how, but rather, which God, little g, made this and why? And that was the question that they asked. It was massively significant. They needed to know which God to be thankful for and what their purpose was in relation to that God. But when you read the account in Genesis, that account is very clear. Which God, big G, created everything? To illuminate the picture, God presents here in the book of Genesis what we read, a backdrop to everything that is in the world. And like an artist working in vivid contrasts, he makes things stand out. The scriptures, in a way, are stunning when it paints the landscape. There was nothing. Out of chaos, God created everything. He divided night from the day and then step by step he made land from nothing and water and animals and things that creep things that fly things that swim and you see the layers like a picture in an artist painting how God created it the problem is that those in that day thought which God created the heavens or which God created the earth or which God made the trees or or, or which God made this. But the problem was they believed in what you and I might call regional gods. A God of the plain. A God of the hills. A God of the water. And those gods were vicious, if you read history. Murderous in some ways. And they wanted to rule over all. And yet, the Jewish people, the Israelites, received from God how things really were made in the beginning. The question of why they made humans, those other gods that aren't real gods, comes down to this idea. He made them to be slaves to work the gods didn't want to do, to do the work that gods didn't want to do. That, my friends, is not very good news. If that's the world that you were born in, if that's the world you lived in, can you imagine what it was like? The fear, the trembling. You understand why they offered up sometimes their children and other things because they, they shook in their sandals, so to speak. Everything scared them that related to these small G gods because those gods didn't love them. Those gods wanted to use them, manipulate them, and make them do things that they were not willing to do. But when you start to compare Genesis account to those ancient accounts, you see how the scripture reveals a very different kind of God, don't you? The God that we see in the book of Genesis and throughout the Bible is a different God than those that we read of in history. Markedly different. In particular, notice three things that set the God of Genesis apart from the gods of that day. First, there's only one God. That's the biggest deal. That's the biggest difference. There's only one God. Genesis reveals Yahweh in the supreme sovereignty of God. Genesis reveals an entirely unique view of the spiritual realm in contrast to many other 
ancient Middle Eastern ideas of what gods were. God stands apart as the sole sovereign ruler over all creation because he made it. The tetragram, tetragram and those four letters, Y-H-Y-W, is a Hebrew rendering of the word Yahweh or God. If you know anything about the Hebrews, the, the, the name of God was very powerful and significant. They didn't even want to use it. So when a Jewish person reads the Bible and it comes to that word Yahweh, he says Adnoi, Lord. He doesn't even use that word because he doesn't want to mispronounce it. They want to misuse it because that's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't misuse my name. So that idea, that, that picture of who God was depicts no division of divine jurisdiction. He's not a God of the water. He's not a God of the plains. He's not a God of the hills. He's God over all, Amen. over everything. There's only one God. The primacy of God has to be striking to the people of that day. Can you imagine people who believed in many gods, multiple gods, and then this one group of people says, no, there's only one God. What would have done to your ancient mind? How would you have thought? How would you have reacted when that happened? It must have been captivating uh, to hear the famous words repeated in the assemblies, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6.4 Yahweh is set apart as uniquely powerful and greater than all supposed gods. As the lead character of this opening, this beginning, God not only exists, but he acts. He, he's not just a person or personality, he is a person that acts on the world. See, some, some philosophies say that if God exists, he created the world and he spun it into existence and he let it just go to see what it would do. But that's not what the God of Genesis is described as. He's described as something different. The, the, there are no rivals to God in the book of Genesis. He's the only one. There's simply God who speaks, forms, makes, calls, and blesses you. First big point is there's only one God. I think the second thing we walk away from when we look at the book of Genesis is secondly, the sole sovereign God creates the world on purpose, with purpose. See, it goes, it flies in the face of what this current age believes is that it, it's just a, a series of events that happen that just develop it's not true that's not the way it happens oh no he made it on purpose but with purpose this this world has a purpose you have a purpose. You were made and created with purpose. The Bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you on purpose with purpose. God made this world. And while it may seem obvious to us that it was uh, as it was not for the ancient readers of that day, we know previously some ancient beliefs saw the creation as a bloody battle between multiple gods or you know, some turtle carrying the world on its back, all sorts of thoughts and beliefs. But again, it was just to get cheap labor to get us to do what the gods didn't want to do. 
God of Genesis, however, sets out to make a world carefully, deliberately. You see that in what we read earlier. It's methodical. It's even poetical if you look at it and read it. The way that God took care to create everything, it's like a song. And you see it develop and, and spin out. The God of Genesis makes the world and he, and he does it because it tells us we are here because he called us into being. God made us on purpose with a purpose in mind, not a cosmic labor, but for, get this, a divine relationship. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He sent prophets. He sent his son that you might know him, that you might experience a relationship. You're not a slave to God. He could have made puppets if he wanted puppets. He could have forced you to act apart from your will, but he did not do that. He wants a relationship with you, and he has a purpose for you, yes, but he wants a relationship. He wants to relate to you. He wants you to relate to him. Thirdly, I think in the book of Genesis we see that God blesses what he makes. God blesses what he makes. Not only is God the sole sovereign uh, of the world, he is the international creator, but he is also a God who loves and blesses what he creates. This is different from the ancient accounts from the beginning of the world. From the beginning, there's a God who creates and blessed what he made. You, you read that, you see that. And why wouldn't he? After all, he meant to make it. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like, oh, geez, look what I did. I didn't know that would happen. You ever seen a child with a piece of clay? I, I remember, you know, our kids had Play-Doh, and they would, you know, what are you making? I won't know till I'm done. <laughs> you, you ever see that? And they would, they would take it and say, oh, there, I'm finished, I'm done. They had no clue what they were trying to make to begin with. And you look at it, and you can't tell what it is either. But God had a purpose in what he made. He intended to do it because he said he called it good. In Hebrew, that's tov, tov, good. And then when he made man, he made them ma'ov tov, very good. See, God had a purpose. The word good is used in many different ways. It, it has many resonances. It, 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 it has many suggestions throughout the Bible. But one of the words is beautiful. In a real way, all that is good is beautiful in the world. God created it that way. You see a sunrise or a sunset or you see an ocean or you see the intricacies of the creation of animals and you look at that and the, and the shades and the colors, it's unbelievable. The flowers that, and all the variety that's there, it's beautiful. It's good. Imagine the people living in exile in Babylon feeling blessed. <laughs> I don't know if they would have said that. They strain their eyes to see God's hand in what they're going through. They train their ears to hear God's voice. And, and, and all of a sudden they remember that this world was made by God. This tree, this stream, this flower, this fruit, everything that flourishes around them was made by God. 
The blessing of God on the material world would have been a source of consolation and a spark of worship in an otherwise difficult exile. See, people in communist countries can believe in the goodness of God. People under dictators can believe in the goodness of God. They did in Jesus' time, didn't they? We can too. We may not like everything that's going on around us, but God has blessed us. And he's blessed this world. Being blessed is not a state. It's a story. It's his story, history. It's the origin story. It's how you and I began. It's why God the creator is calling you to purpose today. Asking you to be a part of what he has built. It's the story in which he delights in naming you as good. He made man and female and he called them good. God who created light out of darkness is calling you to a purpose today. This is where it starts. You are blessed. God's blessed you. Maybe it's not where your story is today maybe that's not what others have told you about yourself maybe they don't see you as good as blessed as beautiful but God does God cares about you Genesis tells us a a few more stories of God's blessing his people you read Genesis chapter 12 and he calls Abram and he blesses him but in Genesis chapter 16 God interrupts a female we've studied in the weeks past about her an Egyptian slave on the run, he calls to her and he blesses her in the midst of her trial and her suffering. To be a female in the ancient world meant to be regarded and valued as only what you could do, what you could accomplish for a man. That was your value then. You could be an offspring. You could be an object of pleasure. You could be domestic labor. You proved your worthfulness by what you did and who you were. She was thought to be no more of intrinsic value than to be a slave. As an Egyptian, she would have been an enemy. She wasn't even of the people. She was something else. She would have been marked as a slave and of the wrong group. No freedom, no future. Slaves have no rights. Slaves have no destiny. And yet, Hagar is on the run, and God stops and talks to her. Hagar's pregnant with Ishmael. You know the story. She was prepared to die in the desert. She thought it was over, but God intervened, did he not? He steps in, and he blesses her. God found Hagar by a well in the wilderness, She had stopped at the spring to to get one last drink. And then the angel of the Lord descended and called her by name and asked a couple of questions. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring and the water in the wilderness and the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? The angel asked those two questions, where have you come from? And where you are going. When God asks a question, he's not launching an interrogation. He is staging an intervention. He wants us to think 
He says to you, where have you been? But where are you going? He, like Hagar, wants to bless you, but he wants you to stop and think about who you are, where you've come from, and where he wants, intends for you to go as he blesses you. God was about to rewrite her story. God told Hagar to go back to Abram's house, not because God condoned uh, the mistreatment of her, no, uh, but because there was no other way for Hagar to be saved. That was the way she would be saved. She would have died in the wilderness if not for that. Genesis 16.10 says, The angel Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be uh, numbered because of the multitude. And this was Abram's blessing, Abraham's blessing. This was the promise that, that God restated when he made the covenant with him, with Abraham and, and Hagar, who had offspring. And that's what's happened. Right from the start, God made it clear. He wants everyone to be able to get in on the blessing. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be an Abraham follower or in his line. You can be like us, Gentile, and be blessed by God. We are swept up in his redeeming love, aren't we? He loves how much of the world? All the world. For God so loved all the world that he gave his only begotten son. When Hagar understood this, she was overwhelmed. Your name is El Roy, the God that sees me. God knows who you are today. God sees you in this place i have actually seen the one who sees me she says in genesis 16 13 maybe you think you missed genesis one blessing maybe you find yourself on the run from a place of pain and suffering and convinced that god does not see you maybe your family or someone in your family feels like that or is experiencing that right now i'm here to tell you today that god sees you he knows who you are. I am the messenger sent here to you in your wilderness. I speak like the angel did and ask you, where have you been and where are you going? I'm here to tell you that God wants to rewrite your story and make it one a blessing. Your origin is better than you thought. God was involved in it. You're not a mistake. How many families have had kids in which they say, oops, that was our oops kid? You know, it was a mistake. You're not a mistake. You were never a mistake to God. God made you. God created you. It is your destiny to be blessed by him. The bread that Jesus took and blessed did not become something else. It became what bread was made to be. What is that? Material things are not separate from sacred things. I remember growing up and going to school and they talk about the, the things that were not sacred and the things that were sacred. To God, it's all sacred. All of it. You're part of that sacred blessing. The world was created to be a container for God's glory to hold all of his glory, and you're part of that. 
God wants to bless you. God wants to flow over you and fill you with his glory that you might in turn bless other people in this world. To be blessed is to be returned to our origin and destiny. It is not simply to be restored. It is to be restoried. To turn around a negative and turn it into God's positive blessings. The God who called light out of darkness, the God who called Abraham out of his father's house, the God who called Hagar out of the wilderness is calling you. God has come to bless you today. He has come to rewrite your story, to return you to the origin of your destiny for what you were prepared. Place your life in God's hands today. I heard a story recently of a man named Reggie, and Reggie talks about his group of friends, and they began to meet at Starbucks, and, and one day they just wanted to bless the barista who had done something for them, a little over the top, a little extra, and so, you know, they left a bitter tip, but they asked these words. Now remember, don't ever substitute Asking to pray for somebody for a tip. Don't do that. You'll lose their attention. But after the tip, they said, how, how can we bless you today? How can we be a blessing to you? And of course, the first time that happened, the, the baristas were a little confused and taken back. And like, uh, uh, well, you know, you have a problem. Is there something we can pray for? And so they began to meet on a regular basis and began to ask that question of those people in that Starbucks. But eventually the group grew and more and more friends were meeting and then they saw that they pretty well covered all these baristas and so they went in a 13 block area and hit every major Starbucks in a metropolitan area they could find asking that same question again after the tip. How can we bless you today? They finally covered all of them. And everyone knew who they were when they'd walk in. And so they began to expand and go beyond that 13-block area where they lived. And they went into one one day, Reggie said, and he went up and he said, How can I bless you today? And she drew the cup back, the barista said, Are you one of those blessing people? The word had gotten around. They were known for the fact that they blessed others. I wonder if you walked in somewhere, would people say, are you one of those blessing people? Oh, that we could be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and ask you to help us with this blessed life. Sometimes it doesn't feel blessed and we forget who we are, forget the story. We have abandoned it in some cases. But you want to rewrite our story today. You want to remake our story, reframe the story. Your redemption draws us in to remind us who we are. We are your creation. Lord, help us to remember that. Never forget that you created us. May we believe in you today and become a part of the story to bless others. We pray in your holy name. Amen.